This episode of Fermented Adventure, the podcast, is sponsored by Fermented Adventure. I am so glad that I have my shirt picked out already for Halloween. You do? Yes, and you can find it on Fermented Adventure under merchandise. It's our new Halloween release. Are you talking about, I'm just here for the bruise? I am just here for the bruise. This is the perfect shirt to go to Halloween events, wear to your brewery around town. You are in costume. You're ready to go. And the great thing about the shirt is it's long sleeve and it's not just for Halloween. You can wear this anytime, right? Absolutely. Not just that, but we have other merchandise. And we also have tags, tees, hoodies, and sweatshirts. Lots of items on our website. How do people find our website, Dawn? They go to formattedadventure.com and click on the apparel tab. Click on the apparel tab and they'll find I have mixed drinks about feelings and may contain whiskey and what else? We also have our Fermented Adventure logo shirt and alcohol is the solution. So if you're still stumped about what you're going to wear for Halloween, check out our merchandise, look for the shirt, and you will be fashionable for this Halloween. And people will say... You listen to Fermented Adventure, the podcast too? Exactly. Cheers! Cheers. Ladies and gentlemen, craft spirit enthusiasts, and those interested in the intoxicating world of craft distilleries, cideries, meaderies, wineries, and the occasional foray into breweries. It's Rich Shane, and welcome to Fermented Adventure, the podcast, where we bring you the fascinating people that are making the mash, fermenting, distilling, bottling, pouring, and delivering to you some of the finest libations in the world. Before we get started, here are a few housekeeping items. Thank you for bringing the podcast into wherever you are and whatever you're doing. We truly are grateful that you've chosen to listen and make us part of your day. It would mean the world to us if you left a five-star review. This helps us climb in the rankings and it makes it easier for others to find us. Don't hesitate to leave us your comments as well. If the podcast didn't meet your expectations, tell us why. We're always striving to improve. You can find us at fermentedadventure.com. We are on Instagram and Facebook as Fermented Adventure. Email us at fermentedadventure at gmail.com. All right, FA Nation, let's meet our guest. He's Luke Goucher. He's Carson Souza. I'm Rich Shane. This is Fermented Adventure, the podcast, and we are talking obscurity, mead, and cider, and beer, and I it would be remiss if I didn't mention barbecue, too. We have a lot to talk about today, gentlemen. Carson, you're in the midst of working the brewery. Um, Luke, you're over there at the Verizon store because you had a great time at the Bears game and you lost your phone. So, gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. <laughs> Glad to be here, Rich. Thanks. Thanks for having us. This is going to be quite a journey. But where we're going to start is how did obscurity get started? How did all that from where it is today, how did it get started? You know, a couple of friends getting together and uh, having a passion for beer. You know, Carson was already uh, in the industry 10 years, a commercial brewer at a vegan brewery. And we said, let's get real little wild, little crazy. Let's uh, play with this thing called mead as well. And let's move you over and, uh, uh, you know, create our own uh adventure here with this uh vision that we had for beer honey and uh out in the uh, kind of in the middle of the cornfields in the far west suburbs of chicago so that's uh that's kind of where the brainchild started and it's uh, amassed what it is today now we met at meadcon 2022 in baltimore maryland 
but you know, you mentioned, you know, as Carson, you've been a brewer for 10 years. What was it about mead that stood out and said, this is the direction we want to go? Uh, that's a great question. So, you know, on the, on the mead side, it was something that was a challenge for me. I hadn't really made many meads, uh, fermented cider in college. Um, but yeah, you know, commercial brewing for, you know, a decade, I, uh, you know, Luke kind of threw it out there and it was like, Hey, well, this is something new and I love to ferment and I want to, uh, try to make the best product that I can in any fashion. So, um, yeah, just jumped right in to just all the research, tasting, you know, uh, looking at composition. We, we flew around the country. We looked at some of the best meteries around. Um, and then I just jumped in with two feet, basically. I mean, I really, I really just started trying to grasp on how this is fermented, why it's fermented, why is it hated, why is it liked, uh, all those factors, and really just uh, tried to start making the best product that I could. Carson, you mentioned a couple things right there. Number one, you were, you love fermentation. You're very into fermentation. How did that all come about for you, you know, younger? You're a young guy. So where did all that come from? <laughs> uh, well, I went to school for music. Um, in I see the transition right there. <laughs> and, Boston. and then uh, I, I've always been a food and bev guy. I've never left food and bev ever. Uh, so I, I was like closing a bar in 2005 as a home brewer and uh i was watching i was watching the commercial brewers during the day and uh seeing what they were doing and i would just realize that that was the route that i had to go and then you know that that all comprised around fermentation i mean let's face it a good beer is fermented properly uh a bad beer is not fermented properly anything that tastes good bread hot sauce uh you name it uh, if it's fermented properly, it, it tastes really good. If it's fermented incorrectly, uh, you got some problems. So it's kind of how it all started for me. Luke, Carson mentioned that you traveled around the country and you checked out different meteries to get an idea of what they were doing. What were some of those meteries and what was the help that they provided to give you the direction as to where you both wanted to go? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, we um, so we, we we have some great meteries, first of all, in Illinois. And, uh, you know, we started with some of those, got to really know those guys. And they've been uh, fantastic in um, basically accepting us into the mead community. But beyond that, you know, we jumped into an airplane and went out to Eugene, Oregon, to uh, Viking Braggot Company, because uh, we make a lot of Braggot style beers, which is a uh, beer uh, fermented with honey. So you've got the fermentables of the grain as well as the uh, honey fermentable. Those guys have it in their name. We figured they were doing it well. Uh, they were very gracious in opening up their doors to us and showing us, you know, the complexities of their brews with the honey, with the impact of the different honeys um, on those beers. And then uh, let's see, we did rabbit's foot. Uh, we did a, we did a bunch of them, but those were the two that really stuck out rabbit's foot in California and uh viking braggot and eugene were two of the ones that uh you know we we felt uh you know were 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 pretty good experience for us we've enjoyed obviously going up to shrams 
uh, and bee nectar uh, as well as, as we're uh, in the Midwest here. And that's not too far of a drive for us to get up to uh, Ferndale, Michigan uh, from the Chicagoland area. So, um, you know, those are some of the ones. Uh, and then we, I'd be remiss to say, uh, if, if I didn't mention superstition too, who is kind of leading the game uh, right now in that world. So, you know, kind of looking at all the different aspects of some of those um, big meteries that um, uh, we had, uh, you know, we, we had kind of uh, idolized here uh, as fanboys before we really got going uh, and getting out and, and just, you know, being honest with them, what we've been, what we're, what we were trying to uh, set off to do. And uh, yeah, they've been very, they were all very much uh, welcoming, brought us right to the back room and said, you know, any questions let us know, um, you know, and, and that's kind of how we got rolling. Carson mentioned, you know, you went to school in Boston for music. And, you know, for you, what you said, Luke, was that, you know, you were fanboys of what these other meteries were doing. Well, I look at it this way. You not only became fans, you said, all right, let's break this down and let's learn how to play the music. Right. Let's learn the notes. Where did you start with, you know, Mead? If you start from the essence, it's honey. What was the thought process there as far as sourcing honey and the different varieties of honey that you wanted to take on to make your meads? Sure. Carson, do you want to take that? Or you, I mean, I can start right now. Sourcing the honeys was, is interesting. I'm going to just start with the real basic answer and then I'll let Carson get more complex. But, uh, you know, we, we I, I think we, uh, we didn't know. I think we, we, uh, we didn't think through it a hundred percent when we got started, <laughs> you know, Hey, uh, you go to this local honey guy and you say, Hey, we want to buy some honey from you. We're making this cool product. And they go, cool. We make, you know, five gallons a year. And we're like, uh, you know, we need a lot more than that, <laughs> you know, and, and then their prices, obviously, just because of the low volumes uh, were, um, you know, just didn't, didn't make sense. So we had to pivot pretty quick. Um, but we've been able to find uh, some sources through the National Honey Board uh, and, um, you know, locally here through some of our other um through some of our other uh, uh, mead friends uh, to get it in bulk because you don't realize, you know, you, when, when you're making a batch of mead, you know, you're looking at four or five 55 gallon drums of honey and you need that flavor profile to be the same every time. And you need it to land at your door every couple of weeks, you know, so that's a volume of honey that most of our uh, local makers just they, they just aren't able to produce. So, so that's where that became, but as far as honey as a fermentable and uh, you know, Carson kind of can talk about some of those flavor profiles and why he uses what he's using. But uh, um, yeah, the honey in it of itself is, is an exciting adventure to go down that rabbit hole of all those flavor profiles and the different types of and, and, uh, regional honeys, et cetera. But we're using a lot of the uh, standard honeys that uh uh, you know, a lot of the other uh, meteries are using in the area too. You know, wildflower is a pretty conventional base uh, honey for us, and uh, you know, back sweetening with clover. Uh, Carson's won a couple of gold medals. Uh, you know, fermenting and then back sweetening with uh, uh, the buckwheat honey and some of our braggots. Uh, so a couple of our uh, our IPA braggot, which is called Good Kiss, and our uh, Hefeweizen, Braggett, which is called Toe City, uh, both winners, uh, uh, Toe City and multiple winner at the National Honey Board um, beer competition. Um, you know, those are all with a buckwheat honey, which uh, I thought was quite interesting because, uh, um, you know, there's that's such a bold profile, flavor profile um, to to you know, right. to balance and dance in a, you know, in a Hefeweizen, in my mind, that, that doesn't make that, that those two don't line up, but Carson's wizardry, uh, align those two and it's turned into, uh, 
you know, some, some uh, recognition through uh, some of those competitions. So, um, but yeah, we're, um, you know, we're, we continue to explore all kinds of varietals of honey, uh, um, you know, depending on seasonality and availability, but also focusing on, you know, our region here and, and cranberry bogs and some of those, uh, some of those varietals that are available, uh, you know, just from our immediate area. I love how the mead hall, the cidery, your beers take on the personality of where you are, that you want to really stay true to your location and have that, the characteristic, you know, that, that what people expect. It's not like you're bringing in, let's say, cactus from Arizona and, you know, trying to make a beer out of that. And there's nothing wrong with that. I've never had a cactus beer and maybe Carson has before, but I'm just saying that, you know, from that standpoint, people can recognize and say, all right this is our area. This is what we do. This is what we want to drink. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think community and, 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 uh, you know, appreciation for, you know, the greater Midwest and the region and all the fine producers in the area. There's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great honeys and, and a lot of great honey producers and even hop producers and some of those other things that, um, you know, we'd love to play with and utilize those ingredients, uh, when we can. Uh, and I think people, you know, regionally appreciate that too, the consumer base, uh, is there's obviously a focus on local in today's uh, consumer culture. So, Obscurity, Mead Hall, and Cidery. How did you both come up with the name? Was there a long, drawn-out process, Carson? <laughs> you're smiling about that, Luke. You're laughing. So, was there a? Uh, it was. It was. It just popped in one night of drinking beer or cider or wine or mead or you know spirits or whatever. It's actually funny. So Luke, Luke, and the other partners had kind of come up with that name first, and uh, I was like, "That's a no-go." right off the bat and they're like we ain't changing it and then it just stuck so it was uh it it was kind of a, a funny I, I thought i was laughing because if you would have asked me you know i would have been like that's never gonna work and it just works so great for us so it's always good to have other like-minded minds together because if one guy makes all the decisions it never works right that's a testimony a testament to you that you're willing to kind of hey you'll give some of that to someone else and you'll step away and say, all right, that's the name. That's what we're flying under. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I trust my partners. Uh, it's just how we kind of grown this relationship. Uh, we were friends beforehand. Uh, Luke actually owns two restaurants uh, and they were buying my beer long before I came on board. Um, so yeah, I rolled with the punches on that one. I mean, uh, branding is one of those things that, you got to find the right brand. And then once you do, you know, you could scrutinize it and ridicule it as much as you want. But at the end of the day, you got to, you got to pick something and move on. And uh, it just felt right the way it felt right with all of it. So. Talk about that. Talk about that because branding and um, brand awareness seem to be very popular as far as a conversation at MeadCon. What for you, what is your brand or what is your branding that you're looking to stay true to? Sure. So, you know, I think that just the uniqueness of the product offerings that we that we've put together here and then where we're doing it too. I mean, we are, at, we say we're Chicagoland, but anybody in the Chicagoland area would say we're rural. <laughs> we're, uh, uh, so we like to marry that up with where the concrete meets the corn. So, you know, it's a, it's an obscure thing to um, have a meadery in Illinois at all. There's only six or seven of them total. Uh, it's an obscure thing to uh, brew with beer. Uh, it was an obscure thing for Carson to come from a vegan uh, brewery and now be brewing so much with uh, honey, which is not a not a vegan product. Um, 
and uh, and then we utilize, we uh, uh, have a barbecue restaurant in our location too, which is a little different uh, in the world of breweries, especially in Illinois. It varies for, from state to state. You know, not every restaurant or not every brewery, most breweries don't have uh, a restaurant in it. So um, that was kind of uniquely us too. So um, you know, unique, obscure. Uh, you know that that's um, you know we, we've we've embraced that, and the, I think the honey really um, is 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 what we've what we focused our branding around uh, and uh, we embrace that. And, you know, all, all, most of our products, obviously we make some traditional beers and we make some traditional ciders. Um, but at the core of who we are, uh, it really, the heartbeat pumps around that honey. You know, you talked about a couple of things there. And one of the things that resonates is yes, you know, cideries, meaderies, wineries, you know, breweries, they don't necessarily have the capacity or, you know, in, in some cases, the size to add a food component unless they come on board with somebody that may be a restaurant or an established restaurant. From that standpoint, you know, in terms of being a brewery, a meadery, and a cidery, you know, how does all that work together in terms of production? And um, you've got three locations. What's that like just to keep everything flowing? Yeah, I think it's a lot of trust. You know, it's a lot of trust with uh, Carson and, and 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 his team that he runs. Uh, you know, managing both of those production facilities and and uh, you know being able to handle all the different odds and ends. And he could probably talk more about those curveballs. And then trusting in, you know, our our front of house management and our uh, our kitchen manager. You know, and 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 a lot of teamwork is going into this too to make sure that there's a sync and that they mirror up. Um, you know, and, and, and that, uh, it, it all dances together the way it, sh it should, but as far as, you know, managing the two different production facilities, cause they are in two physical locations, you know, Carson's walking around in the actual brewery facility right now, but a block away, you know, is the meat and cider facility that he, uh, uh, that he manages as well. And, uh, um, you know, him and his team do a fantastic job balancing those two plates. So. Carson, are you able to speak to the production? You know, how many beers you're putting together? Um, are you doing barrel age, mead, ciders? I mean, talk about the overall production of, of what you're creating. Uh, yeah, so right now we're 75% commercial beer, 25% mead and cider, which is growing immensely. And these are on large barrel, barrel spectrums. Uh, you know, most meaderies are on a small little side uh our overall production standpoint is much larger than most most of the small mom and pop shops um yeah but right now commercially we hold four core beers in the chicago market uh not to mention we have 20 handles so we are constantly um filling that we have a ton of seasonal skews and then when we switch over to the mead and cider hall uh I've taken a completely different approach right now to what uh, most traditional meat is. I've really only released like one or two still meats. You might have them in front of you. Um, then from there, we started switching on to some cooler stuff, some different different things. So, you know, uh, we, we're trying for the session meat right now. We're trying for sizers. We're trying for ciders. So we're just kicking it up all in all in production uh, immensely. Actually, currently as we speak, we are in the thick of it um just released uh a fruited two different varied ciders uh, uh you know we got a series now we have uh a bunch of still meat spritzers coming out more session meat fruited 
uh, lower ABV, high carbonation. Um, and then when it comes into designing and, and production, we have a production team, um, but we, at the end of the day, it sits down. I build out a calendar. Um, we go through the skews of seasonal aspects. We have some really large drops and beers here in the brewery that um, don't have a lot of hype behind them and, uh, you know, are seasonal built. So let's let's not forget that, you know, I'm a commercial brewer. So we, we shoot into the Oktoberfest. We shoot into our braggots. Uh, you know, we try to we try to keep the braggot and beer also in, uh, in accordance. But I mean, that's kind of one thing that we just really haven't really specified on too much here is our love and wants and uh, and brewing a bragging, uh, you know, kind of trying to write the book on that currently. Um, there's not a lot out there, and right now we've been we've been playing some mess, and we're 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 actually you know informing uh, the consumer basis on what a bragging is and why it is and uh, why it tastes the way it should. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's an open-ended question, bud, because <laughs> we go from two different production facilities to a year-out-based calendar to two different major wholesalers that are distributing our beer. So we have to work in accordance with everyone on this tree to get all these branches aligned, and then we can go ahead and deploy the liquid. But at this point right now, and with saturation and where the market is, we try not to build anything or make anything just shooting from the hip. We're, we're trying to put a good roadmap down and move from there. Obviously, there's trial and error, and with meat especially, it's a very difficult fermentation at times. Um, so we're, we're just trying to uh, hone that in, speed that process up, and, and make it, you know, available for everyone to where, you know, we're not just making something that is not going to sell. We have to keep that all in the context now as a production facility. Well, as a closed-ended question for you, Carson, when do you sleep? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I, I've been really, really, I really, really, and it, you know, it's really funny is that Luke and I actually own a commercial coffee roaster too, and that's keeping us quite busy as well. So uh, sleep is is a necessity. We need that. We need that to, uh, you know, hone in, but uh yeah, I, I, I try to keep a good divided line of separation of work. And let's just always remember that there's only so many hours in the day and you still need to see your kids. You still need to see your wives. Uh, you need wives. To see the house. So, <laughs> yeah. uh, oh, my God. It's a, it's a he, just got, he just got married, but maybe maybe there's something we don't know. <laughs> you know, you, every time you talk about something, there's always something new that you introduce. And, and, and I give you the perspective of that you're both like this iceberg that you see on the surface, but there's a huge chunk of stuff going on underneath the surface that people don't either egg see or you guys haven't introduced or have talked about doing. This is so exciting, so much fun to talk to you both. You mentioned, Carson, you talked about distribution. So if we're in Pennsylvania or on the East Coast, are there some of the SKUs that you talked about that we have access to that we can get or you're shipping to? So, yeah, absolutely. We are uh, we're, we're pivoting to try to get stuff out to the East Coast. Just as an FYI, I'm from the East Coast. I was just on the East Coast last week. I was just in Philadelphia and New Jersey. Um, yeah, we're just we're, we're trying to get it to where we could go everywhere. But right now we're just, you know, if you circle back to like, you know, starting a brewery, uh, from the Siebel Institute of Brewing, you know, Ray Daniels one-on-one -on -one is put your finger down and then draw a small circle. 
and then draw another circle after you've gotten that and then draw another circle. So that's what we're trying to do is to, to be sound in the demographic, build the brain here, and then we can span out. It doesn't mean that we can't just shoot, you know, 40 cases to a wholesaler in New York. It doesn't mean we can't shoot 40 cases to a wholesaler in Philly. But as of right now, that is the game plan, but we're just trying to localify first, build this eccentric market here, um, and then and then spawn out. Um, I really I really hope that we can do that. Uh, I want to showcase it because it just seems like we're we're one of few meteries here, and there's a lot of other great little regional sections of meteries that we would love to showcase it to. But uh, right now, with building the brand, we're just trying to really hone in on the liquid and stay local. But absolutely, we're we're pushing forward to go out of state. As you are a local meadery in an area and Mead is growing, as we learned at MeadCon 2022, what is the perspective? What's the, what resonates with the customer when they come and say, wow, a Mead Hall, a cidery, what is that? You know, what kind of feedback do you get right now? Yeah, you know, I think there's a lot of, um, uh, you know, I just, I think there's a lot of excitement about learning something new because, you know, I think, there, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. We've, we obviously, as we mentioned, we do barbecue, we have a barbecue restaurant, but the other thing that our town is known for is a butcher shop. So when we, uh, mention to people that we're a mead and cider hall, they oftentimes hear the word meat instead of mead. Right. <laughs> and they say, why would you compete against a well-established butcher shop? And, uh, you know, I only tell you that story because I think it explains where we're at with mead still in our uh, in our demographic, which is, you know, that's not the word people are hearing. It's not uh, it's something completely new. But I love it when they say that to me because there's an opportunity then, you know, to teach and to, uh, uh, you know, pass on uh, some excitement of a product that uh, may be new to them. Uh, and, uh, they always say, oh, I want to come in and try it. That's that, you know, that that's, you know, that's always their reaction. And, you know, most of the time we're finding that they enjoy it. Uh, we get a lot of people coming to the brewery, uh, to drink mead, uh, to drink cider. Um, obviously cider is a little more well-known, I would say, and, and, and that part of it, uh, is, is pretty straightforward, but, uh, yeah, the mead aspect is kind of a fun one in our market, um, there's definitely a contingency of people who know about it, know a lot about it, um, and uh, you know appreciate what we're doing. Uh, but there's a large component of it where we're make where we're the introductory to or introduction to it, and that's fun too because then they go and seek out those five or seven other meteries in Illinois and then and, and beyond, uh, and really uh, you know start to embrace the product and the history of the product and the importance of the product uh, in fermentation uh, at you know at its core. So. You really hold a place for introducing the market to mead, to the unique, obscure products that you're making. Is, is there a sense of responsibility for both of you in that regard? Do you, do you feel a sense of connection with the purpose? Yeah, I mean, I, I absolutely. Um, you know, I, I there's... And I think that's, you know, at first when we started talking, we were talking only, you know, Mead and Cider, but obviously with then Carson joined our, our, our ownership group and team and, uh, you know, with, with his love of expertise, you know, we, we focused first and foremost, I think, on the brewery, knowing that that could be the, um, you know, that could be the, the, the magnet, the, the uh, magnet that brings people in and then allows us to, through Braggot, kind of bridge them back to Mead 
and try to educate and, uh, uh, you know, push them into their uncomfort zone to try something that they haven't tried before. And that really was the tool and mechanism that we um, that we kind of uh, built in our own heads as we were talking. Why brag it? You know, why honey uh, at this at this big brewery? Why, why we want to bother with that uh, was to kind of bridge back and hopefully take those uh, beer drinkers you know, down a road um, that would uh, introduce that. And and uh, we go at it from a couple of different ways. That's just the the beer way. But uh, yeah, absolutely. We feel a responsibility to educate um, and uh, uh, continue to educate ourselves on it, really, too. It's, you know, uh, it, it's the oldest fermented alcohol beverage that there is, but there's not a lot of people doing it, you know, even, uh, even though it's one of the fastest growing sectors right now. Um, you know, the, 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 you know, the meat con, uh, uh, convention, you know, super small compared to the uh, national beer conventions. And, uh, you know, when you um, get more people into something like beer, you start to see more evolution and more, uh, you know, uniqueness and styles. And I think that's coming out in the mead world right now, but it's still very traditional product. So, um, you know, we're excited about the tradition of the product and making it at its core. But we're also excited about the opportunity to push the product and see where the where we can take it to, um, you know, what weird new things we can do. And there's a couple of brewery or meaderies even in this market, um, you know, that are doing some unique stuff uh, with me that's getting a lot of attention. And, you know, we're, we're that that's the exciting part of that product for us is that it's it's such a blank canvas that you can really play with. Um, but there's a responsibility there, too, to try to put out good liquid and. Uh, you know, be informative well as well and uh, get people excited and behind, um, you know, the, the, I guess the cause, if you will. You shared the direction that obscurity was looking to go, especially introducing honey and the fermentation process. What have been some of those aha moments, those areas where people have given you that feedback and you said, man, this is the right decision. We're on to something. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so Let's let's face it. Uh, you know, honey's an ingredient, um, and it's hard to it's hard to decipher what it's going to do in what process. So, uh, certain certain meads are are certain honeys ferment way better than they back sweeten. Uh, others work really great as uh, back sweeten, and then uh, go to fermentation. They suck. So. What I was doing was really just trying to find flavor profiles and bring them into the bragging aspect. So let's, let's, you know, if we trace back, I, I started with bragging. Uh, I was also commercially testing and slotting yeasts because each one of these yeasts, each one of these honey varietals are all going to act different. I mean, they all act different in so many different ways. So uh, the first thing that I was trying and which I've kind of like, what it is the aha uh, moment is, you know, obviously placing metals on our brackets is huge. Uh, and we're like, hey, what, you know, why did I do that? And I, well, I, I found this local buckwheat that had a very uric acid farmy flavor. And I knew that that sweetness and that earthy barnyard flavor would back up with a good phenolic uh, you know, uh, German proprietary uh, Hefeweizen strain. Um, you know, I, I started thinking on a culinary aspect, which kind of before I am a brewer, I'm a culinary guy. So I started just trying to try on trib what, what these yeasts and honey interact with first, 
then what the malt's going to interact with, and then we throw the major curveball, and that's hops. So once we start working with that, then we start deciphering where these flavors are going to go and why. Um, and I'll tell you, I mean, there's been plenty of swing and a misses too. I mean, you do not, you do not, you can't just be like, oh, you're the best. You have to work at this and you have to figure out what's working and why and why it's not. Um, so, and adjusting too, you know, uh, once again, we circle back to the commercial aspect, you know, I mean, uh, our, our vessels are not small. So it's really planned and methodical where I'm going at this point what honey I'm using and why, what I'm looking to do. If it's a base mead, I want to make a base mead and I want to separate it in uh, four different ways. I'm going to ferment it, you know, with ale yeast. I'm not using what a lot of the mead makers are using. I'm getting cleaner, non-phenolic resonance. Um, uh, you know, I'm going to use clover honey. Uh, you know, I'm going to back, uh, you know, I know what I what honeys I'm using for back sweetening and I would never use them in a braggot situation or vice versa in a mead situation. So, yeah, it's it's having a pantry and knowing how that pantry works, man. Short when order. You, when you and Luke, for you and Carson, Luke and Carson, when you both roll out your business and, you know, business in making a brewery cidery meadery class at the local university, I want to be there to take that. Because <laughs> the amount of thought and information and trial and error and things that you can teach people right off the bat is immense it's incredible and so thank you I, you know you're sharing stuff here that for i guess the general listener even for me is you know some of that stuff is you know flying over my head but what i'm grasping is you are so dedicated to your craft you're so dedicated to your business and you want to do it right you're not just going to throw stuff out there because you have a lot of need to bring money in and keep people employed right yeah Absolutely. And, you know, back to that core question, too, just from a, you know, from a business aspect or from, I guess I'm more the fanboy. I'm not the maker. I'm, I'm the business side of the things. You know, when you sit down and you're talking to people and you're introducing them to, you know, a, a beer with honey called a braggot and, um, you know, they're, they're, they're super complimentary and they're pulling those flavor notes out. And these aren't people that, you know, you typically talk like that. You know, those are some of the aha moments for me, uh, you know, that I just appreciate and, uh, you know, makes me feel like we're in the right direction that we're, we've, we've really got a hold of something here. Um, you know, rediscovering a Hefeweizen for the first time, but this time with honey called a braggot, you know, uh, watching a consumer go through that process. Those are aha moments for me that, uh, really make me feel good. And, um, you don't know that we're on, on to something. So, well, you've talked a number of times, you've mentioned Braggot countless times on the podcast, but we have a number of things to taste through to share and hopefully introduce the listener of the podcast and people to come out to your brewery or find things in the area that they can pick up uh, through distribution. Where should we start? What, what items should we start with right now? Well, I think we've talked about it a couple of times. Oh, I no, think really? <laughs> this one? I think, we should, I think we should probably reach for that one there. And, so. and for disclosure, I wait until the podcast to try all these. So it's been a test of wills right now not to open anything, especially through the weekend. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, the, you know, the we were excited. We put that in the mail to you and uh, found out, I think, just days before or after that uh, – the gold medal on that can uh, was uh, complemented with a second one from the National Honey Board uh, through the uh, National Braggot uh, uh, category of the National Beer Competition. So uh, very, very proud of that beer. 
And uh, frankly, it was one of the very first beers I think Carson brewed uh, and brewed with honey at our at at once obscurity popped its doors open. I don't know if it was batch one, two, or three, but it was one of the uh, original ones. So we were pretty happy that it came out the way it did right out the gate. So this is Toe City. Now, is your area somewhere known as Toe City? Is this a spot where I don't <laughs> want to park illegally for too long? No, no. I mean, so the the little background on that, they, we, um, you know, again, we're in a very small town and we are uh, in an agricultural town. So the um, uh, area where we have the brewery is, is you know, it, it's been agricultural for years and it's been kind of, um, they, they're transitioning away from the ag, it's being pushed west and uh, some of the buildings and stuff were being closed down. And uh, we were able to pick up the old farm services building and make that the uh, the brewery. Um, there was some discussion because the area hadn't been used in so long that the cars might get towed when you uh, <laughs> go over there. Uh, but obviously, the village has embraced us. The uh, agriculture community has embraced us. And, uh, um, you know, that was a little bit of a farce and a joke uh, on the uh, on the can there. But uh, no, we never imagined it would be Toe City. It was it was um, uh, but just a little joke we, we had. Actually, we thought it was going to be brew the beer maybe one time <laughs> and, be done, you know, and move on to the next one and, and test from there. But, uh, uh, you know, Carson, with his decade of expertise, comes in and nails it, obviously, day one. And I, we're you know, we're forever uh, hooked with Toe City. So the nose is crisp. It's vibrant. It's bright. There's an earthiness component. You get some yeast there. You get the Hefeweizen characteristics. And, you know, knowing it's a braggot and knowing that it has the honey in there. And I would say this is my first introduction to a Hefeweizen or a braggot. So I, I've never had this or believe I've experienced this. So this is a treat for me. I I don't get that if you told me there was honey here, I don't get on the nose the impression that there's honey or sweetness here. So that's really interesting to me. Although the color seems to be a little bit more of, of, that, um, of that wheat or that more towards a honey in the color, you know, maybe not as light as what I expect a half of bison to be. So talk about that and the experience of, of, of that uh, as far as what you're producing. I, I can just talk about it as a drinker, then Carson can talk about it as a, as a uh, composition of the liquid. But, uh, you know, I, I think you get a lot of banana and clove on the front end and, and uh, that traditional Hefeweizen taste, and it just hits so perfectly. And then on the back end, uh, that's when that honey really dances and coats your tongue and really finishes through on the back end of the, of the beverage. That's when that buckwheat really um, shines through. And, um, you know, the, the, it's, it's the blend of the two that make that drinking experience for me. Uh, so polished and f favorable as far as, you know, the composition of how he builds it. I'll let Carson kind of run with that piece. Uh, yeah. So Toe City uh, is the Vine Stefan yeast uh, from Hofbau Munich. I got it through a friend who's a commercial brewer uh, for Hofbau for years. Um, then I was able, a local yeast company in Chicago is able to prop that for us. So Starting there, uh, one thing that Luke mentioned was banana and clove. We shoot for a little bit of that. We're also looking for bubblegum and black pepper, uh, which I think it showcases in that. And then we bring on the onslaught of that, uh, that, that buckwheat honey, which is just a farmhouse animal. It, it really is, when you have it on your mouth, it, 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 raw, it's almost unappealing to some, to some of the tasters. 
uh, to the consumers. But for us, we were like, wow, this is going to be amazing. So I took that, what I was getting from that in the initial brew, I was like, this is going to really meld well. So we, we pitched it and then we fermented it. And that yeast, which usually stalls, went double time uh, and really just gave off some great phenols. And at the end of the day, it stalls out. That yeast is what kind of makes the trick on that beer. It stalls out, keeping some of that residual buckwheat flavor, but uh, also kind of encapsulating that farmhouse, that uric. Uh, I call it uric because it just reminds me of a, a barney urine. Um, and then it, it just ferments. That, into that, that should go on a t-shirt right there, Scott. That, the barney <laughs> urine needs to go on a t-shirt. That's a... <laughs> Drink our Barney urine. It's uh, delicious. It's refreshing. <laughs> so, yeah, you're getting some of that sweetness. And then the SRM on it is a Superior Pills malt. We have some acidulated malt in there, and you guessed it right. There's some white wheat in there. Uh, American Hops on that beer. It's a Bravo. Uh, done by Hopsteiner. They're uh, kind of high alpha acid. Uh, fruity can be used in a multitude of manners, but we use that as a bittering agent. And uh, that's what you're getting. See, this, is, this, this is a treat for both of you and what you're presenting, because if you just go to the meat hall, you're not going to get, I mean, there's just not enough time to get that in-depth description and understanding of what exactly you're drinking. I would say this is delicious. I have two, um, two, two groups of items. The one that's the item, all the items that I'll share with whoever comes to the house and the stuff that I don't share that goes hidden somewhere. And this is definitely going into the hidden pile. This is a, <laughs> this is, I don't want to share this with anybody. This is an experience I want to keep to myself and let everybody know about it. Go get your own. This is tremendous. I love the creamy mouthfeel. As you talked about, I got that bubble gum, the, the, some of the black pepper, the banana to me was, was very light. And, and, and you get the clove of the Hefeweizen that, that you would expect. But when you talk about that buckwheat, I believe it brings and imparts a character unlike any other Hefeweizen. And I guess this for me, it, my experience now with a Braggot, now I understand at least what I will enjoy in the future and what I expect to have when I see this by somebody else. Yeah, it's really that, that uh, dance and, and well-fermented meld of the uh, grain bill and the honey bill with the, you know, the thought process between those two characteristics coming together through fermentation. And Carson's really done a good job of nailing that i absolutely <laughs> love the mouthfeel i i just yeah. love how this just coats your tongue and yeah. just stays there and allows for a period of time that you can sense flavor texture even even color palette as far as what's coming out of this beer that's tremendous i can see why you've won awards you should win more <laughs> well we hope to that we're uh, we're we're, uh, we're on our uh, on our way hopefully where should we go next? I know we have this honey spritzer here, this um, high tea, and we have the nemesis line. What would you want to take us to? I know there was a, an IPA there too. What would you want us to try? Yeah, to? so, you know, it, yeah, the nemesis line is uh, Carson's newest uh, line of ciders. Um, uh, two different fruit profiles on those. Uh, the honey spritzer um, is... Um, you know, uh, our carbonated lower ABV mead that we're uh, canning in the 12 ounce sleek that's coming out of the uh, mead hall there. And the last, uh, I believe, is the good kiss that you've got, uh, which is our bronze metal 
uh, last year, our bronze medal winner in the same bracket category. Um, and uh, it's going to take you down a different road. It's going to be that hoppy IPA profile uh, bracket, uh, also with that buckwheat honey. So uh, really, uh, this is this is you choose your own adventure. We'd well, love to talk through to talk I, I through want, it. So. Like you said, right now, I'm going to say that, again, to me, I'm going to try that IPA alone in a dark room. Wonderful. Maybe with a with, with one small candle lit, and <laughs> um, I, I really want to go to let you know. Let's go to the Nemesis. Um, yeah, if we can, uh, we've got the um, this uh, sweet, lots of stuff going on here. I mean, you've got so many flavors in here, so many different things. Talk about that one. Um, it's the uh, sweet cherry hard cider sweetened with wildflower honey. Go for it, Kars. Uh, yeah, so that was fermented with wildflower as the base and then back sweetened, uh, or no, I'm sorry, that is King Orchard Cider. Uh, so that's, and that's from Traverse King City, Orchard Michigan. Cider, and that is uh, out of Michigan. We fermented that with Lutra, uh, which is a brewer's yeast, a Kavike yeast, and then I have uh, back sweetened it with... Um, Sweet cherry puree. We use essences. We use quite a few things. If I told you everything I put in it, uh, you'd have to come work for me. Um, I'm ready to I jump got, on a uh, plane, man. I'm I'm ready to go at this point. <laughs> See what you do. I'll, I'll I'll quit everything I'm doing. I I, I just want to sit at the kneel 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 and watch what you do and just learn by just shutting up. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> well, I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, we back sweeten with a. Uh, Fastwood clover and wildflower. It's great. It's a, it's it's your traditional fruit cider, but badass. What I get on the nose right away is there's this apple, apple cherry, apple cherry, apple cherry. It just, it just comes in the nose together. Apple cherry, apple cherry, and then this wildflower honey almost wraps it together, and you get that sweetness, the botanicals, the earthiness just even on the nose and for, for what you've done here, this is a lower ABV. Talk about that ABV on that. Yeah. So, uh, we are bringing in the cider, uh, roughly around, uh, I'll just go specific gravity, but, uh, so specific gravity is around, uh, they vary 1045 to 1050. And then with the Lutra using the Lutra, we go down to zero. So we do raise that up a bit uh, on alcohol and then it dries out so much that we have to get that sweetness to chase up. So what we're using there, I believe in that one was a, uh, some organ fruit puree, uh, a developed concentrate that we have an organic concentrate. And then you're getting some uh, back sweetened honey to the flavor that I was shooting for. So my thing is, is I like a little dry. I'm a little more, I like it drier, but other people like it sweeter. So on a consumer basis, I try to find a middle ground there between 100% what I like and then what, what, what the consumer likes as well. I find that balance. This is what I get as you're explaining it. I get that dryness still, but there's still enough sweetness there. I think you almost, each, each camp can appreciate this. But what I appreciate the most out of what I'm drinking here, this nemesis, is the fact that it's full of flavor. It's it's some I'm not going to disparage what other people are doing, 
but with what you've created here, some people try to make it into this seltzer-like cocktail beverage. That's not what this is. This represents flavor through and through and an experience that once you open the can, you're going to enjoy this and, and want more. And I, you know, I think what, what we're going for there and what Carson's done a good job of hitting too is, you know, we're, we're really looking to embrace the core ingredients here. We're not looking to mask these ingredients uh, with puree. We're looking to meld them together and, and, and complement them. So you get that apple coming through, you get that cherry coming through, but it doesn't, the cherry doesn't overwhelm the apple. So it's basically cherry juice, you know, uh, cherry juice puree over the top of an apple cider base, hard apple cider base, which is, you know, what we're seeing a little bit in the market and what we were trying to stay away from. This is to me, I mean, again, I'm still drinking this. It's had a chance to open up a little bit out of the can. Cherry, apple, you get the apple skins, but then it goes back to the cherry and then you get that, that, that honey. This is tremendous. This is delicious. Wow. Now I've got two things I'm not sharing with anybody, but uh, go get your own, guys. <laughs> right. Go get your own. And, and that's a new line. That's actually a relatively new line for us. Uh, um, and it's it's been uh, doing quite well. So, uh, um, yeah, we're, we're super excited about the Nemesis line. All right. High tea. High tea. This is a honey spritzer. And I have the session mead with kombucha and hibiscus. Now, if you know us from Fermented Adventure, we love kombucha. We can't seem to find wonderful good kombucha, but we find kombucha. And when we find a good one, you know, we're over the top with that. But the fact that you've taken honey and mead and the, the hibiscus and kombucha, this is, I can't wait. Talk about this. <laughs> well, Carson, I'm going to uh, let you so go a, ahead. Uh, yeah, so that's a naturally fermented uh, wildflower that had this essentially lacto uh, characteristic to it. So we instantiated that by pitching a little bit of lactobacillus, souring and a little, essentially creating a scoby. Then we uh, transferred it onto uh, the tea which was cool and a finishing product and then brought on the uh, other onslaught of flavors onto there and also keeping it more dry. So that was more with the kombucha. I was looking for that tart dryness and it's just, it just encapsulates everything that you see on the can. Uh, I think we even branded it really well. Uh, it just, it's just like a kombucha mead wine spritzer. There's one, the no, there's so again, to kudos to you, you know, now I'm Luke, you, you've said fanboy so many times. I'm, I'm now a fanboy <laughs> of obscurity. Um, I'm, I'm just going to, you know, camp out in front of your door um, and just beg for stuff now. <laughs> no, this is awesome. And, and a tribute to you guys. Again, even on the nose, so much of that floral component from the hibiscus, but then you get the tea that comes in. There's even some of this funkiness, like a sour nose to it. What is that, Carson? so that's that accentuation of lactobacillus um and it has a uh it's just this like it was a very very earthy wildflower that we had pulled out of wisconsin and then uh you know kind of just shooting in the dark trying to create that scoby uh the scoby is the mother that creates the sourness in a kombucha and that lives it's a living organism so we uh we tried to depict as much of that as we could into there um, through study and then, uh, you know, trying to make sure that that agent wasn't in there any longer and then we can go ahead and move on and 
get it to the conditioning side. And that's basically what you're getting. So you get the honey, you get the tea, you get the kombucha side, and it's dry but sweet. It's a crusher for sure. One of the other, as you again, this opens up and gives you so many different profiles on the nose, which is so much fun. This is almost really, there's so much complexity to everything you're producing, which makes drinking what you're doing even more enjoyable. The nose continues to open up. You get so much more of that honey, that herbaceousness, that, um, that, that earthiness seems to go away a little bit as this opens up. And, and then you get that honey that just explodes and coats the inside of your nose. Yeah, yeah, definitely and we, a unique one. And we're and we're uh, fortunate to be able to have uh, the opportunity to obviously crash and uh, carbonate our our mead. So that's a carbonated mead, a sessionable mead um, that is uh, you know a little bit unique and uh, uh, kind of up and coming. I think in the mead uh, world, you're starting to see more and more of it. But uh, uh, an area where we want to spend a lot of our time and energy as well. On the mouth, I get spiciness. I get dryness. I get that tea. I get that sourness, uh, that vinegariness of a kombucha that, that that everything plays so well from all these notes you're bringing in to a nice harmony together. And I would think that the way all of these things that you described separately, you stop and say, I don't even know if that's going to work. But when it because well, there's, there's a so lot many, of that. Yeah, I definitely jump into that. I'm like, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, did I stab too far out there? You know, um, is this going to work? And then I'm like, at the end of the day, I'm like, yeah, it's going to work. You did it for a reason, dude. You're not, you know, like I told you earlier, I'm not, I'm trying to stab in the dark with getting a little out there, being a quote unquote obscure, trying to push the boundaries a little bit. Uh, not just like, Hey, how much vanilla extract can I dump into one thing to make it taste like vanilla to cover up the band-aids? You know, I want to, I want to try to, if, you know, even if we were to come down a line of off characteristics, I want to try to build around that and accentuate and try to, you know, patch it up. Not, you know, there's this whole idea of just dumping crap in, in, in products, uh, you know, mead, beer, braggot, cider. No, I want it to taste good. I really want it to try to be a refined liquid. And, with that kombucha, you know, we were, I was out shooting and I was like, what did I do here? And then uh, after it was all said and done, I'm like, ah, what did I do here? <laughs> <laughs> this is on that side of things that is a little bit different from that. Wow. I want that different all the time. I don't want to. I mean, again, Carson, I don't mean to echo exactly what you're saying, but I want to have some obscurity and some stabbing in the dark to help me appreciate some of those other things, but now I appreciate this even more. This is, again, I, I keep taking sips and I find more things like the, the, there's baking spice. The warmth resonates. It just, it just, it's just still there. It's still there. I, I haven't taken a sip in about, you know, 45 to 60 seconds. It's kind of funny because when we brought that to MeadCon, um, I think it had some mixed reviews. And the only reason I feel that it had mixed reviews was that I don't think people knew how to approach it, to be honest. I think it's just a little bit out on what everyone's doing right now. I, I do notice, I tried to taste as many of the uh, other mead makers uh, liquid there, obviously, you know, the, you know, going to, uh, uh, is that good city that we went to or? Charm City. Charm City. Charm City. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, that all their stuff was just phenomenal. And then when they had yeah, all what a great place. out on the table, 
you know, I started just going down a, a rabbit hole of tasting everyone's liquid. And um, I think, I, you know, my personal opinion is like, you know, I, there's some just stuff that knocked my socks off. And then there was some stuff that was kind of eh. And I don't know if the perception on our stuff was equally that way. I think some of it was perceived very well. But I think people might have a hard time getting into that if it's not described what it is or it's just new to the mead world. I think, I think we've, uh, I think some of the stuff we're doing was coming on a little bit of a different run. So, uh, it's kind of cool. It's an, an educational standpoint and it's, uh, it's like, Hey, I love shock and awe on people's palates. I, I think that's really cool. Especially if it's something that my heart is hundred percent in. What I would say, and this is how I would characterize what I've gotten a chance to try today and with meeting you guys, you both show up to a black tie event wearing plaid. You're still wearing the black tie. You're still wearing the black tie, but those shirts are going to be plaid. The jackets are going to be plaid. Maybe they've got some Chicago bear colors to them to help uh, people know where you come from. But people are going to know, hey, we're at a formal event, but we're a little different. We're out there. But you're out there is great. You're out there is sensational. Um, besides the bottle share, and I agree with you. I, I think one of the things that I can say from the bottle share that I can appreciate is those that are bringing the, okay, that's okay, cider, that or that's okay, mead. And then those that are bringing the, wow, I have never had this experience in my life. This is amazing. I think what it helps is, especially in the mead world right now, that rising tide is going to lift all boats. It's going to help bring everybody to another level. You know, Carson, you've been doing beer for so long. You can remember what it was like when, you know, nobody wanted to touch anything because they didn't really know what to expect going into an IPA or those other, you know, more obscure, you know, brews, but, but that's where meat is. It's that, it's that coming up and the complexity of what meat and where it's going. Yeah, you know, it was, was kind of funny to, to you know, jump on tail end of what you said earlier. Uh, you know, I was sitting in the hotel and Brad from V-Nectar comes up to me and he goes, you got to be the brewer that's here because you don't look anything like a mead maker. And I go, what the <laughs> hell are you talking about? What, what does a mead maker look like? Yeah, I thought it was so funny when he said that. He's just like, you just look like a commercial brewer, man. And I was like, well, I have to be one. <laughs> And then we went out that night and had a ball. So it was, uh, it, it, it's nice to be, there is a little bit of an outcasting. Uh, I forget her name from Charm City, but she d- discussed it too. You know, like mean makers kind of look at commercial brewers as like, hey, you know, you're not a mazer. Um, and I've always looked at myself that way too. I've always, been, tell, I tell Luke, I'm like, I'm not a mazer, man. You know, like, but I think over the last year I've become one to be honest. Uh, and I am a commercial brewer too. So uh, it's two, it's two uh, defining lines that are going to put these liquids to where I want them. And, and, and once again, it circles back to fermentation. You know, I mean, it's just really what it is. I'm the and consumer. A- I'm, I'm just saying this to you, Scott, and I'm the consumer and I don't care what you call yourself or I don't care what you want to call yourself. I just know that what you're producing is phenomenal. And what's, I can I can trust what's going in the can. I can trust what's going in the bottle. I can trust what's coming out of the tap because I know that experience now. And I know the knowledge base that it took you to get there. And from that standpoint, yeah, whatever you want to call yourself, 
You're free to call yourself that. That's okay. <laughs> I call myself a janitor because that's basically what we do. You're cleaning everything all the time, right? Yeah. Now, beyond just this mead and cider and beer, you guys have a barbecue place. You're making, I'm curious, you've got the smoked meats, but you've got honey-grilled bologna. Bologna. We say bologna. It's bologna out in the Midwest. You know, is that a thing for you guys? What is that? Uh, that's one of my favorite things on the menu. It's a big, <laughs> thick cut. I mean, it, it, we take a big old thing of, uh, of bologna. We, uh, we, you know, we cut it into, you know, basically steak size pieces or pork chop size pieces. And then the kitchen does what they do with the, you know, with the honey and the spices and they put it through the grill and, and um, make a, a sauce in house. And um, I, I, it's a, it, it brings me back to my childhood, but in a very adult way uh, that I've, that I've embraced and enjoyed it. It mixes really well with a lot of the uh, uh, taps too, that we've got in the brewery there. So yeah, that's a fun one. That is, that's definitely a unique one that we, that we quite enjoy. Yeah. You've got three locations, right? Currently Correct. open to the public. You've yep. got, you've got, I, I saw 20 taps or 20 draft, you know, to what's going on there. You've got, talk about some of your events and some of the live music you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we, we're always trying to uh, have something new going on. We had a uh, band in last weekend. We, during the summer uh, months, we've got a great outdoor patio experience, uh, um, both at our main production uh, facility in Elburn. Uh, we've got a um, ancillary uh, beer garden down in Utica, Illinois, uh, that serves uh, uh, all of the beer, cider, and mead offerings that have uh, uh, live music on the weekends as well. And then the Mead Hall uh, and Cider Hall, which is uh, its own uh, uh, location. And it's got a very small, intimate tap room. Um, and uh, that's a fun experience in and of itself. A very relaxed vibe, upscale, relaxed vibe uh, to sit and enjoy uh, amidst, uh, you know, active fermentation and the vessels uh, in a very small, intimate space. But uh, a lot going on in there as well. But as far as some of the activities concerned, you're going to get, uh, you know, traditional, conventional uh, brewing activities uh, such as Oktoberfest coming up here <laughs> in short order. And um, like I said, embrace of uh, a lot of live music. Um, and a bunch of other fun things too. Uh, we, we're uh, uh, working on some things over the winter months here, obviously in Illinois. Uh, winter becomes a little more difficult to be outside and people are looking for things to do. So we're not ready to quite announce it yet, but we've got some fun activities and some of the spaces we have available that might be a, a unique draw in the area in the, in the months that are coming as well. Uh, so I guess you have to follow us on social media and uh, uh, see what we're talking about here. So, uh, but there's always something, there's always something going on and we have a lot of fun putting it together. The hard part with being outside of Philadelphia and following people like you guys on social media is it just caused me to be sad because you release <laughs> stuff, you have events, you do things. And I'm like, I can't be there all the time. You gotta, you gotta like, you know, maybe, you know, allow, allow the um, next location to be somewhere in my area. So if you're looking, you know, Scott, you mentioned you're from the East coast. I, I think that the next uh, obscurity needs to open up somewhere here, Jersey, Delaware, uh, PA or something, if you could do that. Yeah. I'm from Long Beach Island. Uh, I was just down. I just went home and saw mom and uh, did a night. I went to college in Philly too. I went to university of the arts. Uh, so we went to, me and my wife stayed at Rittenhouse, the old Warwick, and went uh, to Monks in my old stomping grounds, Dirty Franks, and Chris's Jazz Bar, where I used to play jazz. So get out it was, of here! Uh, great you, great you time. Are, but like my... I'm saying, this ice cube, this iceberg thing, man. You keep talking. 
we learn more about you. <laughs> it's your renaissance, man. Yeah, we, uh, it's funny. You know, I got a lot of best friends out there still, and they, they really want me to open a brewery out there. And I'm just like, man, I don't want to open another brewery. I'm done with that. I'm like, Luke and I are going to get through this one and be done with it. <laughs> well, I'm grateful for what you've done so far, all the hard work you've done. While I don't want to uh, not mention some of your other children, but on the Nemesis line, you've got the Blackberry Hard Cider that's sweetened with the Wildflower Honey. You talked about the Good Hit, the Good Kiss, which is that IPA. Um, that's with the Buckwheat Honey. It's from uh, it's fermented with uh, citrus and mosaic hops, yes? Yeah, yeah, that's our bronze winner. And then you've got the Honey Spritzer, and this is a, a cranberry and blood orange that... Uh, Probably if, uh, you know, that to me, I'm like thinking that's like a cocktail style spritzer that uh, I'm curious how that might play with the flavor profile and, and adding a, um, you know, some sort of a spirit to it as well. That might be interesting, like a gin or uh, a vodka or even a, uh, and even a, a nagave spirit. Absolutely. And that's one of the fun things with mead right now, too. And one of the things we focus on when we talk about uh, selling it out of distribution is the ability to use it as a mixer and cocktails. And, um, you know, the, 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 it, the complexity of mead is well beyond just uh, pouring it into a glass. So, uh, you know, there really is an opportunity to uh, play with it, you know, above and beyond just the liquid head score. Luke, is that something you guys are doing at the Mead and Cider Hall? Are you making some cocktails there? Um, at a couple of our locations, uh, we do use the we do use the uh, mead and make cocktails, and we've we've done quite well with that. Um, at, in Illinois, the uh, mead and cider hall can't have hard spirits, so we'll use the base mead and make a lot of mocktail, uh, mead tails, I guess we call them. They're not mock; they have alcohol in them. Um, but yes, we'll turn some of these meads into you know margaritas and other uh, uh, fancy cocktails, uh, and then you know over at the brewery, well, we can have the mead and the uh, hard alcohol. We definitely are making cocktails, uh, complementing the mead as the primary ingredient, but uh, blending those well with uh, spirits and uh, our mixologists do a really good job of putting those together. And then uh, obviously advertising those to some of our consumer base, our uh, bars and uh, restaurants as well, who've uh, picked up on that a little bit too. So definitely a unique way to use the beverage. There is so much that can be done with all that you're making. Carson, I've watched you for the last hour. You haven't stood still. You've been going from here to there to everywhere. What are you in the brewery right now? What exactly are you working on that, uh, you know, I, I know you're not cleaning stuff just yet, but you will be. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that's, it's a great question. Uh, that's right actually now, a great question. <laughs> yeah. So right now we're, we're brewing an apple cider donut beer that we did with a collaboration of a local pumpkin farm. Um, currently in the brewing process, I'm on what's called water and I've already, uh, run sacrification enzyme conversion through my malt. I've added some donuts to that mash too. Uh, and I am going into the kettle right now. We are almost kettle full. Uh, we will boil and uh, boil off any of our impurities. And then uh, I'm running that through a manifold. Uh, this manifold, and you can see this is called a grant. This is where our wort is uh, transferring over to our boil kettle. Um, and if you walk this way with me, I'm checking all these things because these are all. I know. I said you haven't stood still. See, I mean, 
I've been Remember, watching you. It's like you're all over the place. <laughs> we're cleaning a fermenter. This is a 30-barrel vessel um, named after one of our partner's daughters, Autumn. Uh, right now we're cleaning that in a three-stage CIP, clean in place uh, phase. And my other brewer, Jordan, uh, he's my right-hand man here. He's walking over here. He just came from the meat hall where he was uh, transferring one of our ciders. Uh to a bright tank, and now he's back here and will be helping me, assisting me on this, uh, the rest of this turn. And then we will get this beer into fermentation, wrap it up. And uh, I got to pick my daughter up from uh, the, uh, <laughs> the kid line at 3.30. <laughs> Apple cider donut beer. That's yeah. what you're making. Yeah. You guys are just awesome. That is so great. <laughs> so tune in next week. When we go on another fermented adventure with Carson, as we watch him dis describe and talk about what he's running around doing for an hour. <laughs> I am so grateful that we met you at MeadCon. We are looking forward to coming out to Chicago for CiderCon, I think the end of January, February. Um, I, I don't know if dates have been announced, but uh, you're going to be the host. So uh, this is something to look forward to. We're going to make it out to, as you said, where the corn meets the concrete, right? That's correct. Yeah. Where the corn meets the concrete. You That's guys correct. Are generous with your time today. Is there anything we haven't touched on the podcast today that you want the listeners to know about? Maybe some things about uh, Obscurity that we didn't mention. You know, I think you did a great job today, uh, really showing a, a pretty nice light on us. You know, I, you know, we talked so much about Braggot and uh, Cider and um, Mead. Uh, I guess the one thing to, to, to really to hone in on is we do make traditional beers, too. So uh, there's I've heard that misconception out there that, oh, they're just the Mead and Cider guys. They don't do a lot of beer, but we actually uh, do quite a bit of traditional beer as well and have that full scope. So, um, you know, really is something for everybody um uh in that uh you know uh drinking category and even the non-drinkers too we've got uh you know cold brew cold steep coffee that we uh, uh cold brew nitro coffee that we make in-house that we roast the beans uh for that non-drinker uh, who might be coming out and wanting to enjoy a meal uh bar good barbecue meal but uh really um have a full scope here and um um, not only is uh, Carson fantastic at uh, making braggots and meads and ciders, but uh, the beers are pretty good too. So, so I can't wait to try, especially with those coffee, the, the roasted coffee. I can't wait to try your stouts or porters or whatever you're doing with your coffee. Beans. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, you asked early on and we, we do have a barrel program and uh, some of Carson's, you know, first creations coming off those barrels are just phenomenal. So, uh, and they do include the, uh, he's showing you there. He's showing us the barrels. The <laughs> uh, but they, you know, they do it, they do embrace and include our uh, Soul Loco coffee brand as well. So uh, Carson's the roaster on that as well. He's, he's modest. He, he didn't tell you that, but uh, um, uh, and, and uh, the coffee adds an interesting component too. We've got a chart nitrogen doser. Uh, which allows us to um, put out nitrogen cans. So obviously we're using that mostly for the coffee, but we're playing with that with the beer and mead too a little bit. So we haven't come out with a nitrogen dose mead yet, but that's one of those things on the horizon where I would say, you know, um, keep paying attention to the social media because it's coming. We're working on it. You guys, Carson and Luke, you guys are phenomenal. Thank you. So I'm so grateful. I said before, I'm so grateful we met at MeCon. I'm looking forward to so many great things that you continue to put out and do. Um, you're a, a treasure in your community and uh, so much that they should appreciate. 
uh, continued success. And uh, we can't wait to uh, speak to you soon. Thanks for being a friend of Fermented Adventure. And uh, Carson, I'll let you get back to what you're doing. Make sure you get in line to pick up your daughter. Luke, get that phone fixed. Um, you know, I, I can't say what's going <laughs> to happen you. with the Bears. You know, it's not, if it rains every week, you got a shot. But right. uh, <laughs> we'll hey, see we're one and all. We're I'll on top of the world right now. All right, guys. Thank uh, you. So, Thanks. Thank have you. a good one.